0: Well, hey, everyone, before we jump into the message today, can I just say what an exciting season this is in the life of our church? We're coming off a great global awareness week. Next week, we'll have our first ever gratitude Sunday. And in two weeks, it's the first Sunday of Advent. We've had student ministry retreats and harvest festivals and Bible presentations and baptisms and, and lots of new faces. It's been a great fall. And I want you to know, ahead of Gratitude Sunday, how grateful I am for all of you and to be your pastor. Well, After that upbeat beginning, we're going to have to shift gears a bit as we get into the final message in our Exodus series, Scenes from a With God Life. Because the final scene in this series is a deathbed scene. Now, deathbed scenes can be both poignant and revealing witnessing someone's final moments of life being with them in those final moments is about as intimate an experience as you can have with another person and often provides a a window into their soul and into the mysteries of life and death and the life to come i recently finished ron chernow's biography of george washington now, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know I'm a big Washington fan. Commander-in-chief throughout the War of Independence, our nation's first and defining president, rightly regarded as the father of our country. Well, after After refusing to serve a third term as president, Washington finally retired to his beloved Mount Vernon estate. The year was 1797. And he promised himself and his friends that he would live to see the new century. But on a December day in 1799, after surveying his land in a driving sleet storm, Washington came down with a chest cold from which he would never recover. Listen to how Chernow describes the scene. Washington's last day was spent in a lovely but simple setting, a plain bedroom prettily decorated. As he faced death, Washington's indomitable poise was remarkable. With preternatural self-control, he issued final instructions regarding his military papers and financial accounts. I feel myself going, he told them early in the evening. I thank you for your attentions, but I pray you take no more trouble about me. Let me go off quietly. Several times, this most punctual of men asked what hour it was. Orchestrating matters until the very end, he had the presence of mind to take his own pulse and felt the life suddenly ebbing from his body. At that moment, on December 14, 1799, Washington perished at the age of 67. He died in a manner that befit his life, with grace, dignity, self-possession, and a manifest regard for others. Sooner or later, every human life comes to an end. And those endings can be both poignant and revealing. And today we come to the end of Moses' life. And if Chernow himself had been there, I don't think he could have composed a more vivid and moving description of Moses' passing from this life. And in just a moment, we'll take a closer look at it. But but let's remember first that, that death is only one of many Endings we experience on our journeys through life. Graduation from high school or college is an ending. So is leaving a job, breaking off a relationship, moving to another part of the country, putting your last kid on the school bus or dropping them off at college, the loss of a loved one, retirement, and then ultimately our departure from this life, but but they're not just endings, are they? They're, they're actually passages from one season or circumstance to another, and those passages are fraught with emotion and uncertainty, with gratitude, hopefully, and and maybe some regret. Maybe you or someone you love is in the midst of one of those passages right now. Uh, Passages are inevitable on our journey through life, but how we handle them, how we face those endings, how we navigate those transitions, will set a trajectory for whatever comes next. Uh, The dictionary defines passage as the act or process of moving through something on the way from one place to another. So as we consider this final scene of Moses' with God life, as he passes from this life to the next, let's see what we can learn about navigating the passages of our own lives. We're going to jump ahead to the final chapters of the final book of Moses, the book we call Deuteronomy. Uh, We'll begin in chapter 31, but then we'll land in chapter 34. Chapter 34, 31, verse one. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. Well, like Washington, Moses is remarkably self-aware in this moment. He knows the end is near. Now, we're not sure exactly how to interpret these 120 years. In ancient literature, 110 years old was an idiom used to describe a full and significant life. So is the extra 10 years attributed to Moses, is that meant to suggest that his life was more significant than a normal life? Or is the 120 meant to highlight the three 40-year segments of his life? 40 years as a prince of Egypt, 40 years as a Midianite shepherd and 40 years leading the people out of slavery. However, we're meant to take it. The message is that Moses lived a long and productive life. I am no longer able to lead you, he says. Moses recognized that his physical and and maybe his cognitive abilities were no longer up to the task of leading a nation especially in a time of war and transition. And the fact that he mentions his failure and his disqualification means he's he's being honest with himself as he considers his life's work. Endings always call for a certain amount of reflection and self-assessment. We look back over whatever season is coming to an end, childhood, a job, a relationship, and we wonder what we accomplished and what we learned and what we wish we had done differently. In fact, A case could be made that you're really not ready to make the passage into whatever's next until you've processed what's past. So like Washington, Moses is self-aware in this moment. And like Washington, he's intentional about the things he wants to say and do as he prepares to depart. Let's keep reading. The Lord your God will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you and you will take possession of the land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you as the Lord said, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now remember, this, this so-called promised land of Canaan was completely unknown to the people. Except for Joshua and Caleb, none of them had ever seen the land. They'd been told that it was flowing with milk and honey, but they'd never actually tasted that milk and honey. The one thing they did know about this land was that in their absence, it had been occupied by some really scary people. The Canaanites were hostile, brutal, warmongering people. They were like giants, the spies had told them. And who knew what other challenges were waiting for them? In that land, Endings can be scary because we don't really know what's coming next. As eager as we may be to walk across that stage and receive the diploma or, or to put that last kid on the school bus or, or to quit that crummy job or move to a new part of the country, we're leaving behind a life we're familiar with. We knew our way around that old landscape. We knew what was expected of us, who we could trust, where the landmines were. I vividly remember an ending in my life. It was the end of my three years serving as youth pastor at my home church just after college. I told you about it a couple of weeks ago. They were three very meaningful years of my life. I learned a lot about the work of ministry. I formed deep relationships with the kids and my fellow leaders. I ate a lot of pizza. But they were also three very stressful years. I I didn't have healthy boundaries around my work. And that had made our first year of marriage really tough for Karen and me. Well, my, my last week with the kids was what we called Action Week. Where, where we had a meeting and an activity every night, Monday through Friday. And on that final Friday night, I remember backing the church vans into the garage after taking the kids mini golfing or something like that. And as I pulled those garage doors down and they hit the ground with a thud, I remember thinking to myself, that's it. I'm done. And on the one hand, there was this great sense of relief and and satisfaction. I felt like a load had been lifted off my shoulders. At the same time, there was this sense of uncertainty and anxiety about the future. Uh, We were heading off to Denver Seminary with the hope of becoming a, a preaching pastor. But neither of us had ever been to Denver. We didn't know anybody there. We had no jobs we had no place to live and truth be told we we both wondered if our marriage could really survive a life of ministry endings can be scary because the future is unknown it may be promising we may feel ready for it but there's always a certain amount of trepidation what if it doesn't turn out to be everything we had hoped What if we find ourselves stretched and challenged in ways we never have been before? Who will our people be in that new place? And who might our enemies be? Endings are always fraught with uncertainty. And so it was for the nation of Israel on the threshold of their passage into Canaan. So Moses wants to put their hearts at ease and assure them of a positive future. So he reminds them that Yahweh will still be with them and that Yahweh is the one they really need, not him. But he reminds them too that his successor, Joshua, is already in place and ready to take the mantle of leadership. As long as God is with them, they don't need to be afraid as they look to an uncertain future. And and that same promise applies to us when we come to endings in our lives, when we find ourselves moving through something on our way to something else. God is still with us and for us in those passages, and he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And in the chapters that follow, Moses continues to prepare the people by reminding them of of everything he has taught them, everything God has done for them. Uh, Like Washington calling for his papers, Moses writes everything down for them, places it in the hands of the priests, and commands them on a regular basis to take it out and read it in the hearing of all the people. In chapter 32, he sings a song over them warning them of the dangers to come and reminding them to rely on God. In chapter 33, he prays over them, naming them and blessing them tribe by tribe. Moses may be on his deathbed. He may not be the leader he once was, but he wants to finish well. And he wants to set his people up for success. Now, this message is... It's very personal for me. As, as you know, I'm, I'm walking with my parents through their twilight years. Now, they're not on their deathbeds, thankfully, but, but they're in the final chapter, and they know it. Uh, my father has been very intentional about making sure all his papers are in order, that I know where to find everything. He, he's actually written it all out and put it in a notebook for me, bank accounts, insurance policy, funeral arrangements, cemetery plots. They don't have a lot of money to give away, but, but we've talked about the missionaries and the ministry he cares about and about, about how he might be able to help the grandkids. Like I said, endings can be poignant and revealing. We all want to finish well whatever season of life we're in, and especially when we come to the end of our earthly lives. So let's get to the final scene of Moses' with-God life. We find it in chapter 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Now, Moses isn't on a deathbed, literally, but but this is where and when he will die. And while he won't be going into the promised land, there's something gracious and affirming about the way the Lord allows him to see the land. He gets to see the whole land, from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River Valley, from the Dead Sea all the way up towards Galilee. If he had an iPhone, he would have had to put it on Panorama to take a picture of the whole thing. And the language used here, I have let you see it, actually had legal connotations. In that ancient culture, when a, when a buyer went to contract, so to speak, on the purchase of some property, they would always have a, a final opportunity to see or view the land. It's as if the Lord is granting Moses a sense of agency and ownership in this transaction. The scene has a mission accomplished feeling about it. And there's something else interesting. Earlier in the book, back in chapter three, Moses asks the Lord, pleads with the Lord actually, to be allowed to go into the land with his people. And you can't blame him. I mean, he worked so hard to get there. But but in these final chapters, we don't find him asking that anymore. It's as if he's come to peace with the Lord's will, as if he's okay with not going in and is able to find contentment and and satisfaction just seeing the land of promise and knowing that he got his people there. Uh, The point I'm getting is that Everything hasn't turned out exactly as Moses would have hoped. It's not a fairy tale ending. There's no, and they all lived happily ever after. In fact, we know there is going to be some unhappiness in the days to come. And yet there's this sense of closure here and, and, and fulfillment. I listen to the next few lines. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses on the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. There's a sense of of Dignity and and tenderness about Moses passing Uh, And the following verses will remind us that that Moses successor Joshua is is already in place The Spirit has come upon him. The people are ready to follow him in other words God's got this Moses can rest in peace and the people can face the future with confidence knowing that their journey is still in God's gracious and capable hands. (laughs) The truth is none of us come to the end of any season of life without some measure of disappointment or regret. Uh, Whether we're looking back over our academic career or our work history, or our family life, or our faith journey, we inevitably think of things we coulda, woulda, shoulda done differently. We wished we'd done more of this, or less of that, or handled a situation differently than we did. We probably haven't accomplished everything we set out to do. But when we've made that journey with God, as Moses has, We're able to find comfort and significance in the knowledge that God has been working in and through all those decisions and circumstances and even mistakes to accomplish his good purpose for our lives and the lives of those around us. Like Moses climbing that mountain, we're able to rise above the disappointments and failures and see the big picture of what God has done and what God will do. This, this whole scene, Moses speaking his final words to the people, his confidence in the face of death, it brings to mind a similar scene from another great leader's life. A, a leader who, like Moses, was leading his people out of oppression and into a better future. And who, like Moses, didn't live long enough to actually experience that future. I'm thinking of Martin Luther King Jr. And the speech he gave on an April night in 1968. King was speaking to a crowd gathered at the Mason Temple in Memphis. And after challenging them to continue fighting for their civil rights, King got reflective in the final paragraphs of that speech. Listen to a few of the now famous prescient lines. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. King wasn't on his deathbed but it would be the final speech of his life. The next day, he was assassinated on a motel balcony. It's known as the, I've been to the mountaintop speech, and it's grounded in the very passage of scripture we're looking at today. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. was a flawed human being, like all of us. He would be the first to admit that he didn't always get it right. And he didn't get to see the fruit of his labor and sacrifice. But he was able to face his own death with peace and to envision a better future for his people because he knew that God was with him and would be with them and that the arc of God's universe bends toward justice. So, Here's our lesson from this final scene in Moses with God life. With God, even our endings can be new beginnings. With God, even our endings can be new beginnings. Every time we find ourselves moving through something on our way to something else, we can find peace with what has been and hope for what is yet to be. For Moses, that meant he could be at peace with what he and the Lord had accomplished together. Listen to how Moses would be forever remembered by his people. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and his whole land, For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Sounds like an Old Testament version of Jesus saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What greater affirmation could any person hope for on the occasion of their death? And remember, this is a man who who committed murder, who spent 40 years tending sheep in the middle of nowhere, who argued with God on a regular basis, and who failed big time at a pivotal moment of his journey. Apparently, when you live a with God life, your mistakes and failures can be forgiven and even worked together for good. But, but here's the even greater thing. It, it looked like Moses' life came to an end there on Mount Nebo. And from an earthly perspective, it did. But Moses' heavenly life was just beginning. And many generations later, we meet him again on another mountaintop in some pretty distinguished company. I'm reading from the Gospel of Mark. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. There he was transfigured before them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. How's that for a scene from a with God life? Five spiritual giants chilling on a mountaintop with the Son of God. If they had an iPhone, it would have killed on Instagram. Apparently, when you die a with God death, it's just the beginning of a with God eternity. What happened to to Moses on Mount Nebo wasn't an ending at all. It was simply a passage from this life to the next. And that passage awaits every one of us. And if we've chosen to live with God in this life, we can look forward to living with God in the life to come. Because with God, even our endings can be new beginnings. So what does all this mean for us on a practical level? Well, Three things, at least. First, it means that we can trust God with all the passages of life. Every time we move through something on our way to something else, we can trust God to do something good. Uh, A week or so after closing that garage door on youth ministry with a great thud, Tara and I loaded up our Plymouth hatchback and headed west. And in the providence of God, the next three years became some of the most formative years of our lives. We made lifelong friends and connections. We gained vision and skills for ministry. And we laid the foundations of a marriage that would see us through 40-plus years of ministry. That ending was actually a new beginning. Uh, The second thing this means is that we can face the final passage of life with peace and hope, knowing that the Lord and his people are waiting for us on the other side. That's a great comfort to my parents and to me as we walk through this season together. The third thing it means is that we can live every day of our lives with courage and confidence, knowing that God is with us and for us in our comings and goings and our successes and our failures. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven and we find freedom to begin again. And these truths aren't just for spiritual giants like Moses and Martin. They're for ordinary Christians like Brian and Roberta. Who's Roberta, you ask? Roberta Raftery is a longtime member of Grace Chapel. That's her on the left alongside her sister, June. Roberta and her husband, Lou, came to Grace Chapel in the 1960s when it really was a chapel with a couple of hundred people. Over the next 60 plus years, they would build a home in Woburn, raise their six children, and serve the church and community in all kinds of ways. Lou served in the parking lot and with second graders downstairs. Roberta served in women's Bible studies and children's ministry and a ministry of writing. We marked Lou's passing here at Grace several years ago. In her 80s now, Roberta continues to serve her family, her church, and community. And a couple weeks ago, she sent me an email. Let me read you a few lines. This morning, as I was sweeping up leaves in my driveway... The Lord met me and gave me an insight that I want to share with you. Most people think of the promised land as heaven. But many years ago, the Lord revealed to me that the promised land is entering into the will of God for our life. It is entered into by faith, and one as our own when we fight the good fight of faith to fully possess all that God has promised to give us in Christ. As I thought of this today, I realized that the Lord had brought me into my promised land, The land he has given me is my relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I have eternal life. The experiential knowledge of God as my heavenly father, Jesus Christ, his son, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. My particular portion of the spiritual kingdom, the house God gave me to dwell in, is Grace Chapel. I did not build it, but once God gave it to me, I set out to maintain and help it be a place of glory for the Lord Jesus. God has seemed to tell me that I have fully possessed my portion of land that he had for me. And now he is seeking to show me how to live in the joy of what he has brought forth in me and through me over the years. Not that I am to have no labor in the days ahead, but rather he wants me to find joy in what he has given me. I would appreciate your prayers that I might know how to take from his hand all that he has given me at this time of the knowledge of his love for me and his blessings upon me. Roberta would be the first to tell you that it hasn't been a perfect life. There have been plenty of ups and downs and gains and losses and successes and failures. But it's been a with God life. God has seen her through all the passages of life. And will continue to see her through all the way to that ultimate promised You don't have to be a spiritual giant to experience a with God life. To be used of God to accomplish his purpose in the world. And to enjoy eternal life with God in worlds beyond imagining. Are you living a with God life? Have you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life? to forgive your sins and failures, and to lead you into new and eternal life. You can do that today. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together, sharing the bread and the cup that Jesus shared with his followers on his final night with them before going to the cross. If you've never invited Christ into your life, you can can signify that today by taking the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. And if you've done that already, maybe you want to invite the Lord intentionally into a particular season of your life. Maybe into a passage that you or someone you love is going through. You can signify that too, by taking the bread and cup with us in remembrance of Christ and all he's done for you. So now let's pray and invite the Lord Jesus to meet us in these next moments together. Thank you, Lord, for this journey we've made with Moses through the wilderness and to the promised land. Thank you for all we have learned about the with God life. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have left you out of our lives gone our own ways and our own strength, and fallen short of the good things you have for us to be and to do. Help us, Lord, to invite you into every activity, every relationship, every decision, and every passage. And by your grace, bring us into the good land you have promised in this life and the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.